God goes to great lengths to rescue lost and hurting people. That's what the story is all about. The story of the Bible. God's great love affair with humanity. Was aching for worship this week, and I was looking forward to being here. And I have the privilege of getting here early and uh, hearing the hearing our team warm up. And I'm turning on TVs throughout the building, and and the praise of Jesus Christ is filled through the whole building even before you arrive. And we prayed last night. We pray this morning that Jesus would come to church here at Cornerstone, and we pray that you meet Him here today and are encouraged and challenged by His presence in your life. Uh, we're in this story project, and we're coming to the New Testament. We're beginning the New Testament. So if you haven't been tuned in to where we have been, you can go to YouTube and look up Cornerstone Church, or you can uh, find us on Vimeo, the YouTube, Facebook, and you can catch up to whatever you've missed. But we are talking about probably the most controversial, the most difficult doctrine in Christianity. Doctrine is simply another word for teaching. So one of the core teachings of Christianity, and that is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The in-fleshing. God took on human flesh and became the God-man Jesus. The in-fleshing of God, the incarnation. It was not a subtraction to his deity. It was an addition. It was something that he took on. It He had not, he had not formed into a, a human being and dwelt in the same bodily form we had. And he begins that uh, somewhere around 3 or 4 B.C. Uh, in in uh, the timeline, in the chron- uh, it, yeah, in the timeline. There we go. And so uh, we look at John to help us understand. We have this verse in John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So there's a lot of scripture that talks about the deity of Jesus, but we're going to just primarily stay in the Gospel of John, and here's the reason why. John was a best friend of Jesus. John uh, looked into the eyes of Jesus and describes to us who Jesus was, who God is, through knowing him intimately. Now, when you go into a, a, an old church, you might see uh, the apostles depicted in stained glass. And often, John is depicted as an eagle uh, in those types of mosaic glass structures. Why the eagle? Well, the eagle is one of the few birds that can fly directly into the sun and its eyes not be harmed. It, it can take in the full glory of the sun. John sat across from Jesus and looked into his eyes and saw the full glory of the Father, saw the full glory of his deity, and he is expressing that to us. You can trust what John writes about Jesus because John spent many hours with Jesus exploring his teachings and looking at his life. And so John is, John is this man who was convinced that Jesus Christ was the Word that became flesh. 
So the Greek word logos or logos, however you want to pronounce it, uh, is, is this idea that there is this word. Now, in the Old Testament, we have ten words. We call those the Ten Commandments. In the Greek, it is uh, the oi uh, lodeka, or, or the ten words of, uh, 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 of the Old Testament. And so we get that because uh, in, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew version of the Old Testament was translated into Greek somewhere uh, during the time of Alexander the Great. And so uh, the Septuagint, what we call the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint version of the Bible calls the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. John says about Jesus that he is the Word, like all the Word. Like he's not, he's not ten smaller words, he's like the entire Word. Word of God. And so uh, this, this is a big deal uh, in John's day, and here's why. It's a highly debated word, logos, among his culture. In our culture, we have highly debated topics, women's rights or, uh, or, or uh, uh, human rights, if you will, or well, we might be debating some, some, some topic about uh, the, the global warming or something. Hotly debated issues in our day. In John's day, it was this word, logos. This was the much-talked-about concept. It was, it was this idea that, that there is a rationale for life, for all life, for all human life. There is, there is a word, there is a rationale on how to live, what is right, what is wrong, a highly debated topic among the philosophers of that day. And so what we're saying is, what John is telling us, in that the Word became flesh, he is saying there is a rationale for life, there is a way of living, and it comes with authority. It comes with authority. So, so this is a big deal, because uh, in, in, in other world religions, you don't have this. Uh, Buddha, Muhammad, Marx, they would, they, would, they would not tell you that they are giving you a rationale for life. They are telling you that, we have coaching for life. We have things that you should do for life. But, but Muhammad would cut off your head if you said that he was the rationale for life. Like that would, be, that would be abhorrent to him. That Allah is the rationale for life, Muhammad would say. But in Christianity, John is telling us that Jesus is the way of life with authority. And so Jesus accepted these claims from John. He did not, he, he did not put them off. He's like, yeah, that's exactly right. I am God in the flesh among you, and I bring words with authority. So I love this picture, portrait of Jesus. Uh, this is the uh, portrait by Richard Hook. Uh, sometimes they, we look at this picture, and they call him Surfer Jesus. I guess, I guess he kind of looks like Surfer Jesus. I don't know. Did Jesus surf? I don't think they had waves of Galilee. Uh, maybe he snuck away to the med. I don't know. But, but anyway, um, uh, this this. This is my favorite picture. Uh, your picture might be a Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes. I don't think that was right. Your picture may be a little more darker, complected Jesus. We know Jesus was the holy height, 5'5", five five, uh, because of the archaeological digs. And so if you're 5'5", five five, which I am, you know, you're the holy height. But uh, all the rest of you are abnormal. Uh, but uh, just that's a joke, all right? Aren't you glad you came? All right. So anyway, what I'm saying is that, that, that this... I, there. I, I enjoy this portrait 
because it speaks to me. A little confession, as I was preparing this sermon this week, I actually ordered this portrait for the office because I thought it might bring some solace and some comfort for those that, that come and sit in that, sit in that office sometimes talking about difficulties that they're having in life, looking into the eyes of Jesus. I, 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 I want to envision what Jesus might have looked like. It's important to me. And so I might be off, you know, when we see him, when we behold him, I might be way off, but, but anyway, it helps me in this present time. And John says, in the beginning was the word, John 1, 1, and all things were made through him, everything created, he is the creator, he creates all things, is made through him, and the word became flesh, God put on flesh and bone and dwelt among us. And so there are many terms... Many names John ascribes to Jesus in the first 39 verses of his gospel, but this is the one he starts out with, that in the beginning, the Word became flesh, the infleshing of God. Now, non-believers, other religions might perceive this as an intolerant claim to make, like because there are no other religions making this claim. We're the only one. So some might take it as, as just crazy to think that God would reduce himself, if you want to think it as a, as a reduction, and put on flesh and bone and be a human and walk among us. But how else would we know who God is? So often the question when we read John, first chapter, is, is Jesus really God. But I'd, I'd like to just turn it around this way. Is God Jesus? Like, so is Jesus really God? Let's turn, let's turn the question around. Is God Jesus? In other words, if we have no other means to know who God is except through like divine writings, the Bible, or through nature, then we only have a partial concept of who God really is. But God put on flesh and bone and now we can see him sitting at a dinner table, having a conversation with somebody distant from God. Now we can uh, hear him preach and hear the inflection in his voice and, 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 and read about his parables and his teachings and see how he rebukes those who thought they were above others and see how he lifts those who were uh, the outcast up to a place and a position to sit beside him. And so uh, I'm just simply asking that is there any other better representation of God than Jesus? And I would say no. I would say no. And so what John is writing in the Gospel of John is our best chance, our best opportunity to know God. And so uh, Jesus is introduced to us through these casual moments as well as these epic moments in his Gospel. And the first thing we want to learn is that Jesus reveals God is near and wants to know us. He wants to be near. So he isn't some disengaged God in a distant galaxy galaxy hiding on some planet. And, and, and no other religion in our earth teaches this type of approach to God that he could be talked to. You could serve him food. He could serve you. He could wash your feet. You could wash it. No other religion teaches that. Now, indeed, there are some religions that teach some element of this, that, 
there's some animistic God out there that God could be felt uh, in, in, in nature, in rocks and trees and in animals and that type of thing. That, or some Star Wars type God experience that there's a force out there, but it's, 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 it's sort of you know, nebulous. You can't get your arms around it. And so there are religions that teach some element of God's presence in our universe or in, in the surroundings, but no religion teaches this truth that God sat across from people and talked to them and conversed with them. And so the, this concept in Christianity makes it decidedly different from any other religion. And so we're taught that God came to us and wanted to be near to us and even taught us to pray to the Father by using terms like Abba, which means Daddy. Daddy, help me now. I mean, this is the best chance we have of knowing who God is. And so, Jesus says later on in the Gospel of John to his, his, his followers right before his death, he says, if you, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. Like, Jesus, just pull back the curtain a little bit. We just want to get a glimpse. And Jesus answered in a rebuke. He says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father, Philip? That's what I've been doing for three years, you knucklehead. I've been showing you who the Father is is i and the father are one and so you know if you believe that jesus is god in the flesh you are much more blessed do you remember there's this other story about uh, a guy named thomas who had some doubts that jesus was resurrected Jesus appears before him, and Thomas sees the marks in his side and his hands, and he says, now I believe. And then Jesus goes on to say, blessed are those who have not seen me physically and believe. So if you believe in this, you're even more blessed than the apostles because you believe by faith. So consider, consider this God that wants to have communion with us. As Dennis said, that you have communed with God. In his presence, we are in, he's invited us to this space, and he wants to have dinner with us. He wants to have a meal with us. He wants to have fellowship with us. And so uh, this, this God of the universe wants to mentor you in your life through the most difficult times. He wants to be near to you. So I don't know what you are going through, but the Father, through the Son wants you to know he wants to be as close to you as a brother. There's one point in time that, that Jesus talks about the Father counting the hairs on our head. And some of you, that's not too hard to do. But others of us, you know, are losing some. Some of you are gaining some. The point is this, that what Jesus is saying is that God the Father wants to have an intimacy with you that goes beyond description. I want to be so close to you. I don't want to be distant from you. And I don't want you to put me in a box on Sunday. I don't want you to just like think about me. I want to walk with you. I want you to walk with me. I want you to attach yourself to me. I want to be that close to you so that I can help you learn how to live life. Because there's no better model for mankind than Jesus Christ. 
He will show you how to handle everything that you face. Just watch him through the Gospels. Jesus reveals that God loves people, does he not? I mean, he sat with the outcast. Clearly, there are religions that portray God as loving people, but they are fewer than you might think. If you study other world religions, you'll not come anywhere close to a God so loving. In most world religions, their God is indifferently separate from the struggles of the people and what they're going through. For example, in Judaism, in today's Judaism, Yahweh is a distant God providing rescue for the Jewish people. In, 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 uh, in, in the concept of Allah, uh, he, he rewards the jihadists for their acts of bravery. Christianity teaches something very entirely different. Are you ready? Like This is my most unlike verse, most unlike thought in the Bible. And I've said it before, so some of you already know where I'm going. God loves his enemies. Like Jesus is saying, okay, I know you combat your enemies. I know you retaliate against your enemies. I know that you want to kill your enemies at times. I know you hate your enemies. You wake up in the middle of the night thinking about how you're going to destroy your enemies. I'm telling you, here's a different way to live. In the infleshing of God, God loves his enemies. God shows his love, Paul says, for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The death of Jesus Christ is a prerequisite for the theology that God loves his enemies. You can't say that until Jesus does that, and he did that, and now he can say that, and with moral authority, he can tell us to do the same. Father, forgive them, he says on the cross, for they know not what they do. And so Jesus showed us how to love our enemies through suffering. Jesus reveals God suffers. God suffers. Going back to Greek mythology and other religions like it, it's pretty clear that a God suffering is a foreign concept. The idea that God would suffer the worst of circumstances is, is absolutely foreign to other world religions. And so uh, the, these gods of other religions are, are, are beyond human hunger or beyond being cold at night or beyond being isolated and separated from the ones that they love. But the picture of God painted through Jesus is completely different. He suffers on the cross for the sins of the world. And so it was hard for those who met Jesus in the flesh to understand this concept because there's very few scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about it. Really just two places, maybe three, four, not that many. And so one of the places that we often go to is Isaiah 53 to talk about the suffering Messiah. We read from Isaiah's writings, he, he, he will be, if you will, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom... People hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. And so when the rabbis of Jesus' day would read this passage, they wanted to throw it away. This was not the concept of the God that, that was coming to rescue them. 
They were expecting a David-like king to come and conquer Rome who was occupying that land and telling them what to do. And so why would the creator of the universe put on flesh and bone and suffer with us? That's not what we want. Sometimes that's how we are too. I don't need a God who will suffer. I need a God who will conquer. They're hurting me. God, will you strike them dead? Hey, God, they're persecuting my kids. Will you take them out? Hey, that's, that's how we think too sometimes. Like this idea of a suffering Savior just doesn't compute. And as Christians, we know that Jesus suffered a criminal's death for our salvation. But there's more to this incarnation than just him providing redemption. There's more to the incarnation than it just being a doctrine, a core belief of our faith. There's much, much more. You see, Jesus, the God-man, he needed legs. He needed body legs. You know, he needed legs to walk dusty roads so that his followers could watch him live. This, the the God-man, he needed a gluteus maximus to sit down by a Samaritan well and talk to a woman who was looking for hope, talk to a woman who was looking for Messiah. He needed, he needed a place to sit, and so he needed that. Uh, the the God-man, he needed saliva glands to create spit so that he could make mud, and then he needed fingers to pick that mud up and put it on the eyes of a blind person so that they, they could see. The God-man needed a tongue and a voice box to proclaim and preach about the new kingdom, the good news, that the old kingdom is passing away. As you enter into Christianity, as you enter into the, into the Scripture and who God is, He will challenge everything you think about life. How to handle your money, how to handle your time, how to raise your kids, how to love your wife, how to not kick your dog, how to love cats. Imagine that. The God-man needed this tongue and this voice box to proclaim a new way of living. Are you tracking? Yeah. Yeah. The God-man, he needed biceps and triceps to walk into the court of the Gentiles and flip the tables over to the money changers. And then he needed an arm and to, to take a whip and smack their butts for they were ripping off poor people while they came to worship. He needed that body. The, the God-man needed glands to tear glands to weep at the suffering of the people and at the death of his friend Lazarus the god man he needed knees that would bend so that he could wash the disciples feet the god man he needed a back that would catch the cat of nine tails of the Roman centurion. That would rip the flesh off his back and expose his ribs and expose his muscles. He, he needed that back. He needed that. The God man, he needed that back to carry that cross beam. Out the Villa Della Rosa, up the hill of Golgotha. He needed that. And that, that's the only way he could carry the beam. Was on his back. The God man, he needed, he needed wrists and he needed feet. So, so there would be a target for those Roman nine-inch nails made out of a crude cast iron that would be driven into his feet and his wrists. He needed wrists and he needed feet to catch the nails. The God-man, he needed eyes to look down from the cross and forgive those who were persecuting him. And he needed, he needed eyes and a voice to look up to heaven and say, It is finished. The God-man needed a body that could be wrapped in 
50 pounds of spices and linen and be put in a borrowed tomb so that in three days the Spirit would raise that body and He would appear to more than 500 witnesses. And the most provable fact of all time is that Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb. It's more documented than any other historical fact. To disbelieve in the resurrected Jesus Christ is to disbelieve in all the facts that point to this truth. The God-man. It's amazing what the infleshing of God teaches us. How else would we know who God is except for the fact that this God dwelt among us in bodily form. If you choose to be the best possible human you could be, it is to imitate Jesus. It is to live incarnationally. It is, so the Word became flesh, and now this Word that we're reading comes into us, and then we become the Word that takes on flesh. When the Word of God becomes flesh in us, we will draw near to others. I get it. People are hard to be around sometimes. You don't want to be around me, I may not want to be around you. You smell funny, I look funny, right? I spit when I preach, you don't want to be close, right? No way. We don't want to be near, right? I get that. But Jesus says, I'm going to show you a new way to live. I'm going to say that if you will follow me and be near to people that no one else wants to be near to, you will find a joy unspeakable. You will find purpose unimaginable. And so if we choose to be near to people, we'll have better lives. Husbands and wives won't keep secrets because they'll be transparent with what's going on in their world. Children and students and teenagers won't, won't hide and, 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 uh, from, the, from the struggles that they're going through with their parents or grandparents. Uh, when, when we want to be transparent and near to others, it brings the best possible moments of intimacy and relationships that we could possibly imagine. Now, I'm not talking about going into food line today and walking up to some stranger and gushing out all your emotions. That would make you weird and no one want to be around you. And please don't do that if you have a Cornerstone bumper sticker on your car. Like, where does that person go to church? Why am I going there? So, but what I am saying is like, if we, if we, this is something you're not good at. Listen, you're not good at, and I am not either. We're not good listeners. We don't want to be near to people. We want to sit on the porch, stay away. I don't want their problems. Don't, don't burden me. But Jesus says, I'm going to show you a new way to live. I'm going to show you to be close and near to people who need somebody that looks and talks and acts like God, if you know what I mean. Flesh and bone, Jesus. And so being honest with a roommate, confessing sins to a friend, the listen, listening to a child deliberately can make the biggest difference in their, in their, in their existence. If, if we'd really like, like want to be near, like Jesus was near to us. Next, the Word will become flesh in us when we love others sacrificially, like Jesus, incarnationally. We, we begin to love sacrificially, not just our friends, but our enemies. Like, I know, 
Jesus put it this way when he unpacked his life's purpose. He said, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, that's what he did for us, but that's not all that this is about. He did this for us so that we would have a new way to live, a new model to follow, a new kingdom has come, a new way to be human has arrived, and I've modeled that for you. And in practical terms, it means serving more than taking. It means tithing instead of hoarding. It means volunteering rather than self-indulging. It means lifting up others rather than self-promoting your own agenda. And just like Jesus, it's sacrifice, but in the end, it turns out to be the greatest blessing and purpose a, a, a person could ever experience. It's the infleshing of God's word in your life. That's what we're talking about here. It's not just about our redemption. It is about our new way of living. When the word becomes flesh in us, we will suffer for others. I came up with this proverbial statement. It's going to blow you away when I say it. Everybody I've ever said it to is blown away by its, by, by its truth. I mean, and its brevity is just, it's just, it's memorable, okay? Are you ready? Here it comes. Pain hurts. There you go. Write it down. Print the t-shirt. I did. I said that to my kids one time. Pain hurts. We don't like pain. We avoid it at all costs. We have Advil. We have aspirin. We have all these painkillers because we, we don't want pain. We want to avoid it. People have pain pill problems, right? I mean, there's, we, we, we avoid it to such a degree that it becomes a problem in our life. Pain is not fun. However, 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 it is the greatest growth that you will ever experience is suffering pain, not simply for yourself, but for others' sake. I love mountaintop experiences. It's fun going to worship. It's fun going to the big conference. It's fun seeing all. I love that. I love the mountaintop. But it's in the valley when you're walking, just you and Jesus, through darkness, through suffering, through isolation, that you learn the most. We want shortcuts and comfort at the risk of losing our souls. The person we want to become is worth the sacrifice it takes to get there. And a real sense, uh, we're trading success for significant, pleasure for purpose. And God himself modeled this for us. So our suffering in others, in Jesus' name, offers uh, more than just like the divorce of creature comforts. It brings into us a real satisfaction that we can find no other place. I know what TV and screens tell us. That if we have this, we'll be satisfied. It's a lie. It's not true. Here's truth. Sacrifice for others brings purpose and meaning to your life in no other shape, way, or form, any other way can. It offers real life. So when the Word of God becomes flesh in us, others will see God. Others will see God. You see, the incarnation isn't just a doc doctrine. It's a new way of living. It's a new way of humanity. And, 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 and they used to call these followers of Jesus in the first century Christians. It's a derogatory term. The word Christian simply means little Christ. And they were saying, look at that little Christ. Look how they do that. And so it was mockery. But now it's been transformed into a term that, that denotes us as a follower of Jesus in a good way. 
And every time we imitate Jesus in forgiving, in submitting, in showing grace to truth to those who absolutely, positively need it, it is the incarnation of the word once again. Do you know that people need to see Jesus in you so that they have a way to follow? And so, the scriptures indicate, and this is what got me this week. I'm sorry. This is, this is the, I'd, I'd never really thought deeply about this. Somebody might have told me this, but I never thought about this. All right, so there's a point in time where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existing in this eterna, eternality, okay? And then, at just the right time, the Father sends the Son who submitted to the Father's will to put on flesh and bone, right? And he's born in geographically the, the lowest place on the earth, Bethlehem. And, and, and he spends his first days, his early days, in a manger. Okay? His life, miracle ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection, he's still bodily form. Then John, get this, track with me here. Then John, in the book of Revelation, John is, is given this privileged moment of looking into the glory of heaven, of looking into where the Father and the Son and the saints are existing right now. And guess who he sees? He sees Jesus standing as the Lamb who was slain, and the only man-made thing in heaven is there, the marks of the crucifixion. Are you catching this? Jesus doesn't go back to some deity form that he had before. He remains in bodily form for eternity. Now, I want you to capture this. There's a point in time where Jesus is not in bodily form, and then he becomes human like us, and it doesn't switch back. He completely divorces himself from the most privileged state that any, any deity could ever have and he puts on humanity and he stays that way. So, I hear people say, I hear me say, I'm too tired to go. I don't think we can give. You know, like, are you... <laughs> Are you kidding? What he gave up. And you want Jesus on your terms? It doesn't work that way. Like you have, you, you can't give enough. If you emptied your bank account, gave your card, dedicated your kids to a monastery, and I'm making, you know, I'm being, this is a hyperbole, right? It still wouldn't come close. To what Jesus divorced himself from in heaven and take, took on humanity and remained in the state for eternity. His state was forever changed because of us. And if you decide to follow him, your state of being will be forever changed because of him. I just, I got a couple questions. You thought you were coming to church to see friends drink coffee and check something off. I'm telling you, it's way bigger than that. Word of God is being preached. The Spirit is in those words. And it's convicting hearts. Have you been in fleshing of the Word in your life? Have you allowed the Word to become flesh in you? 
I know, I know. Love your enemies. I know, it's hard. It's hard to follow him when you haven't joined yourself with him. Have you joined Jesus? Like, I know what we do. We go, God, could you just come over here and fix this? And God's like, let's get something straight here. I've got a kingdom, and this is where it's going. Can you, do you want to join me? Do you want to join me? So, I don't know. Have you accepted Jesus as Lord, Savior, Messiah, the incarnate God? Have you been baptized into Christ? We had one baptism today. We have towels. The water's got a, an amazing filtration system, right? All Ellie's sin, which wasn't much has been filtered out. You could join yourself with Jesus in a mysterious, miraculous way. But you got to come out of the seat. you got to take a walk. you got to make a commitment. And it's not hard when you understand what Jesus left behind so that you would have the opportunity. I mean, it's just good news. I know it's not easy news, but it's good news. The best possible way of living is to imitate Jesus in all of your embodiment and then you become the incarnate word of God to others Father God I just I am so struggling to grasp the concept of the infleshing of Jesus Christ and Lord I want want all of us all of us to know how big a step he took it couldn't be reversed once he stepped through that time portal once he stepped out of heaven into earth everything changed for him for eternity's sake and so father I just I beg you to prod and push and coax and lead people to make a decision as you can you always do the heavy lifting You always do the heavy lifting. And so, Father, there may be people who are like, "Ah, I don't have time. It's the best time in the world, Lord. Help them to know that. Help them to make a decision that reflects that they do believe that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in Him there's life in no other place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.